Kia ora and welcome to my daily podcast that goes out with my daily email newsletter via Substack and it's called The Kaka. I'm Bernard Hickey. Today I want to talk about some extraordinary action in and around Parliament yesterday and what it says about our political economy, our tax system, housing and affordability, climate change in action and child poverty because they're all connected and yesterday's dramas, which you may have heard about, are a symptom of two broken things that we have in our economy. Firstly, let's look at the short-term broken thing, which is uh, the thing that David Parker tried to fix, or at least Inland Revenue uh, thought they could fix. Yesterday, the government had to do a backflip, a U-turn, a backtrack, uh, however you want to call it, on its plans to extend GST to all funds management fees. At the moment, a few KiwiSaver fund managers and a few other types of fund managers do charge GST on the very identifiable service elements of the advice that they give some uh, KiwiSavers and others. A bit like when you go into an office and a financial advisor sits you down for an hour and charges you several hundred dollars plus GST. That's the part of the fees where GST has been charged by some funds. Other funds, particularly the really big ones that don't have the same high-touch approach, don't charge GST on their fees. And you may ask, how is that the case? Well, Way back in 19, the 1980s when a GST was created, it was done as widely as possible. So we all know it includes things like food. But there were a few things excluded, including financial services such as mortgages, bank fees, credit card fees, life insurance. Why? Because they were seen as too close to taxing saving. Because in theory, when a bank hands over their savings to you as a mortgage, you are paying them a return on that chunk of savings in the form of a mortgage and the interest on that mortgage. However, of course, this isn't just an inert piece of saving that the bank's given you. There are services wrapped around that, and the bank, in effect, gets a return from those services by charging a net interest margin. And... Over time, people have looked at this and thought, well, actually, there is a service there and it needs to have GST applied. But it's so difficult to disentangle the service element from the savings return element that it hasn't been done. And there's a similar story for residential rent. Because, in theory, when you pay rent, you're actually paying the owner of the house a return on the savings they have embedded in the value of that house, as well as some money for the service of living in the house. Trying to disentangle the two was seen as too difficult. So what we ended up with was a GST system that excluded financial services and also excluded residential rent. Now you could argue that creates its own bias on its own for people to invest in residential property and to take out lots of mortgages. I'm not sure it's such a huge thing and we don't have any measures of it. But certainly it's created some grey areas, as is often the case with GSTs, grey areas around 
uh, fees charged by financial services firms. And because of this anomaly where some KiwiSaver and other fund managers were charging GST and others weren't, IRD and Treasury thought, oh, let's make this a bit purer because we already have quite a pure GST system, which has managed to fend off attempts to remove food and other things. And so the IRD and Treasury proposed some technical changes uh, which were included in the Omnibus Tax Bill. Now, if you listen to yesterday's podcast, you'll know that this was a political mistake apart from anything else. Uh, it wasn't mentioned in the initial press release from David Parker, the Revenue Minister. However, the regulatory impact statements and the full commentary showed that this change would potentially raise $225 million in extra tax and potentially, by 2070, reduce the amount of savings in KiwiSavers and other pension funds by $163 billion by 2070. To be fair, that's out of total savings of more, more than $3 trillion. So these are non-negligible effects which should have been mentioned in the press release. So what happened was Thomas Coughlin from NZ Herald, Rob Stock from Stuff found this. I also found it about four o'clock in the afternoon on Tuesday. Thomas Coughlin wrote a piece headlined uh, um, plan for $103 billion uh, KiwiSaver uh, tax grab. The next day, the New Zealand Herald ran with the headline in bold, two words, tax grab. And uh, all hell broke loose overnight on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. Uh, firstly, the uh, opposition leader, Chris, Christopher Luxon, jumped on Morning Report and other news channels and basically said this is a wealth tax, this is a retirement tax, uh, this is a tax increase the government pledged they would never do, and it needs to be removed. Within 15 minutes, the finance minister, sorry, the revenue minister, David Parker, came on and defended the policy, saying this was cleaning up a loophole and needed to be done to ensure the integrity of the GST net and that the opposition was over-egging the pudding, that uh, um, some fund managers were already charging it and this just um, removed a loophole for the big fund managers and that there was nothing to see here and we should all move along. So that was at about 8 o'clock in the morning yesterday. Which we all listened to and thought, oh well, the government looks like it's going to hold on to this one. Then at 1.16pm, out comes the press release from David Parker saying the government has reversed completely its plan to extend GST to all fund ma funds management fees. David Parker said in the press release that they had expected some small fund managers to come out in support of it, that the ructions in the morning had potentially destabilised saver confidence in the entire KiwiSaver system, and that the government needed to reverse its policy to retain confidence in KiwiSaver. Needless to say, this was a bit of a shock and certainly um, caused enormous uh, excitement and um, action around Parliament. I went to the uh, 10 to 2 stand-up that David Parker and others had on what they call the tiles in Parliament. If you're watching TV or listening on radio, sometimes you'll hear ministers talking in what appears to be a very noisy toilet. <laughs> Uh, because sort of it is, uh, it's a bunch of black and white tiles 
uh, underneath uh, a big high ceiling and in the background the bells of Parliament ringing because question time is just about to start Parliament for the day. So you'll often hear ministers being shouted at by <laughs> reporters and an enormous amount of background noise and binging and, and um, it's a tough place to actually get a, a decent answer out of anyone. But it's our main opportunity to ask ministers and the opposition questions in a, a free-form, you could argue, feral environment. So David Parker came out to his credit and uh, stood up in front of the PAC and uh, argued that the government had to make the changes because it needed to protect the reputation of KiwiSaver, that the changes had been misrepresented firstly by the media and then the opposition, and that he was disappointed that the changes had not been supported by any of the pension funds, that this had been a victory for the banks, uh, who appeared to have fought against it and won. Uh, so, um, this is all very exciting in a purely political sense, you know. Um, in the horse race, this was a big victory day for the opposition. But what's actually going on here? Why did the government take this risk? Uh, we can guess that it didn't think it was that much of a risk because of the way it tried to sneak it through, slip it through, uh, put it through to the keeper, however you want to describe it. But why Why would the government do this? Why would the IAD and Treasury try to extend the tax net for GST? And what is the underlying problem here that is being attempted to be solved? Well, I think you need to go back about 30 years to understand what's going on here. And also understand the thinking behind our tax system, the strategy and the um, theory behind how our tax system is built right now. This always goes back to the revolution of 1984, when the fourth Labour government under David Longy and Roger Douglas came into power in a landslide victory over then Prime Minister Robert Muldoon. It seems strange to have to explain this out loud to everyone, um, but I'm 54 and it's in my bones. For a lot of people under the age of 30 or 40, this is sort of new news. So there was a guy called Rob Muldoon who ran the economy like it was his own thing. He set the rules, he set wages, he set prices. He told us whether or not we could drive our cars on certain days of the week. Uh, he made decisions about what interest rates were, what the currency was valued at versus other currencies. Everything in the economy was regulated. Uh, imports, exports, wages, working conditions. And it was described variously by um, the then new Prime Minister, David Longy, as a Polish shipyard. And it certainly was a controlled and dysfunctional place in large part because of Muldoon's um, control freakery and thuggery and uh, bullying. Um, so he was not popular, he got kicked out and there was a big change. And the, the changes included, of course, uh, um, floating the currency eventually after a devaluation, getting rid of all, almost all of the tariffs on imports, removing the subsidies for exports, and changing the tax system. Our top tax rate back in 1984 was 66%, and uh, the corporate tax rate was 48%. And in 
and we had no GST. There were also subsidies for people to put money into pensions. And as recently as 1991, we actually had a small land tax. So the idea was, let's completely rewrite the tax code to make it clean and simple and pure and to remove the exceptions which caused so much grief in other people's tax systems and which had in our tax system pre-1984. So the theory was, let's have a tax that is very broad-based, so very few exceptions, and very low rate. And that would be good for the economy. So that's what we brought in with our income tax system. We effectively moved to from having many, many tiers and very high rates for the high tiers to just two tiers and a tax rate of 33% as the top tax rate eventually. And uh, uh, the bottom tax rate was uh, 24% and was everything under the $30,000 threshold. That uh, was combined eventually with a goods and services tax, uh, which was again set very widely and as I talked about earlier, uh, started off at 10%, went to 12.5% in 1989, and then in 2010 went to 15% in exchange for an income tax cut. That was the first tax working group under John Key. That was all fine. This was arranged by a combination of Roger Douglas as the then finance minister, and then late in the term of the fourth Labour government, which ran from 1984 to 1990, by David Cagill, who was then the finance minister. Bit of a policy wonk, a lot like actually uh, David Parker, you could argue. He's also a policy wonk who cares a lot about economic policy, thinks long-term, thinks a lot about the theory, and uh, uh, was, in many ways, um, they, they shared various views. So in 1989, in December 1989, December 19th, 1989, David Cagle proposed a capital gains tax to effectively fill in the hole that had been created in this beautiful broad-based low-rate tax system. And the hole uh, was a lack of a capital gains tax. It was proposed, but of course never enacted. By 1990, the government was incredibly unpopular and was kicked out at that election. And we never got a capital gains tax and the attempts over the, over recent years to tax capital have been in spite of the fact of not having a capital gains tax. Obviously, National imposed capital gains tax in 2011 and 2014. That's one of the reasons they got re-elected. 2017, Jacinda Ardern proposed it until three days before the election and then said, uh, well, we won't do it in the first term. We'll have a tax working group. And then eventually, we all know, 2019, she said she'd never do it in her political lifetime. And she's extended that promise to no wealth tax either in her political lifetime. So there have been various attempts to get around this. Firstly, we actually with the national government in 2015 when they brought in the two-year Brightline test. Labor extended it to five years and then 10 years. And of course, has brought in ring fencing of losses uh, experienced by rental property investors and the removal of interest as a deductible expense for tax purposes by rental property investors, effectively trying to bring in a type of capital gains tax from the edges, from a distance. A very messy process. Also in the process, because of this creation of effectively a big tax advantage for leveraged investment in land, which was capital gains free, and able to return massive uh, 
um, after-tax return relative to other things, in part because the subsidies had been removed on pension fund investments, we saw a skewing of our entire economy from being largely agrarian economy about exporting milk and meat and wool to one much more based on services and completely dominated by a housing market. I call it a housing market with bits tacked on. One with the most expensive housing in the world for both owning and renting. A big problem with child poverty, driven in part, you could argue a large part, by housing being too expensive and not healthy. And uh, we now have a two-class society of homeowners and renters, in large part because of the failure of David Cagle and the Fourth Labour government to bring in a capital gains tax and the various muckings around ever since. So, yesterday's dramas were a short-term epic political fail by the government, but probably didn't matter much in the long run. But it was a symptom of a larger epic fail, a 30-year epic fail, in not bringing in a capital gains tax to complete our perfect tax system. And we've been dealing with that failure ever since. It was a failure by a Labour policy wonk minister called David, reflected by a smaller failure yesterday by a Labour policy wonk minister called David. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was my daily podcast on the Kaka for paying subscribers. Kaki te anō.